Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Paralegal Voice here on Legal Talk Network. I'm Carl Morrison, Advanced Certified Paralegal and your host of the Paralegal Voice. Today, we have a very special guest with us. You know, we just recently celebrated Veterans Day, and right now we're about to celebrate Thanksgiving. And what better way to really show our thanks and be thankful is to show thanks to our men and women who serve in the armed forces. And uh, my special guest today is Master Sergeant Albert Perez Oyola from the United States Air Force. And I wanted to have a military paralegal on today's show to talk about what it's like to be a paralegal in the military. So, Albert, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, really excited to having this talk and uh, definitely looking forward to our conversation. I'm really, really excited. Everybody in my, all the men in my family served in different branches of the armed forces and having you on the show is, is very special. And so Albert, I'm just going to jump off and start us off in questioning. Okay. So right now you are a law office superintendent for the United States Air Force, and you've served in the Air Force since 2004 is what I understand. So I was, of course, doing my background on you. I was reading about uh, all about you on your LinkedIn profile recently. Saw that you got your paralegal associate's degree while in the Air Force, went on and got your bachelor's and then master's. And so I would love for you to tell the listeners, what does it really take to become a paralegal while serving in the military? Can you really walk us through the steps of being a military paralegal and the education? Where do you start? How far can you go? So on and so forth. Okay, yeah. No, um, so this is a very interesting question because there are some um, some changes coming down the line. And historically, it has been uh very different process that has been evolving over time, but essentially, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what it used to be and about 2003, 2004. And, and just to backtrack a little bit, uh, we've had kind of like the paralegal career field since really the 1960s. Now we've, we've called it different things, but we've had the career field really since the 19, 1960s, 1950s, 1960s. But up until 2003 or 2004 is when the Air Force decided to, to allow paralegal or military members to come in the military as paralegals already. Before, it used to be that you could cross-train, meaning that you would come into the Air Force with a different, what we call Air Force specialty code. And then you could, after serving however many years in that special, uh, specialty code, then you could cross-train into paralegal. That's what it used to be. But then in 2003, now you can actually come into the Air Force as a paralegal, not in the recruiting process, but once you went into basic training, meaning you would have to join the Air Force, what we call open general. And it's somewhat of a risk because you could really end up in any career field whenever you join, uh, you know, you go to the recruiter and then you say, yes, I'm going to join open general, meaning that you're at the mercy of the Air Force, wherever it is that they want to place you based on the needs of the Air Force, but you do get choices. So once you get to basic training, they'll give you a list of jobs that are, are available or that are your preferred jobs. And then you can you can mark paralegal. And if it's available, then you will have to go through an interview process with a representative who goes, a paralegal representative who goes to basic training and sets up shop there to conduct the interview to also, they have to do a type in test and a type in test 
essentially have to type 25 words per minute. That's essentially the basic requirement. And also the ASVAB test. So to the in the ASVAB test, you have to score at least a 51 on the general component of the ASVAB test. That is essentially uh, the current requirements. So you really have to want it. You have to do an interview. And the interview is essentially to make sure that you really want to do that, that you understand uh, any confidentiality uh, rules that we have as far as ethics are concerned. And also to make sure that the person can speak clearly, given our job that we type in so many documents or drafting documents for attorneys and just making sure that the person understands the basic English, essentially uh, the typing test and the interview and then they can they can come in and their first job can be paralegal. But now it's changing to where you can actually, before you join basic training, you can actually go through the same process, but before you go to basic training, that way you already know that you have a guaranteed job in the Air Force as a paralegal. So uh, not that I'm of the age that I'd want to join or should join the military, um, <laughs> but having worked, you're saying basically having worked as a, paralegal now, I could, if I was of the age that I could do this, I could join up and actually just segue right into working as a Air Force paralegal, right? That's correct. Right. And, and you can join with a guarantee that you're actually going to be exercising that duty. Whereas before this year, uh, you were taking a risk, whether or not that would be a possibility. Interesting. Wow. So, once you get in and once you become, uh, you know, like for yourself, when you chose to become a paralegal in the Air Force, how do you get to select what area of law and specifically military law, but how do you get to select the area that you want to practice in? Or is it really, are you at the mercy of the, the Air Force to select it for you based on the need and where you're serving, so on and so forth? Right. So essentially... For the most part, I haven't seen any cases where, where this hasn't been the case. Most paralegals that, that join that are brand new, they first have to go to a course which has now, it used to be six weeks, but now it has, it has changed and it's about three to four months, what we call a paralegal apprentice course. And this paralegal apprentice course is, uh, this happens at the Air Force Jack School in uh, Maxwell Air Force Base in Alabama. So once the individual goes through that course, then they get, again, this is, uh, I think for above over 90% of the cases, I haven't seen any, uh, anything different, but then they go to a base legal office. So in the base legal office, essentially they have civil law and military justice, but everyone has to go through the basic base legal office. Now in that base legal office presents that new member with I'll, you know, prepares them with training. So we, what we call on-the-job training. We have four volumes of those career development courses that they have to complete in order to keep moving up in upgrade training. We have essentially four levels of, of upgrade training. So the first one is uh, apprentice level. And then we have the craftsman level journeyman level and superintendent level. So those are essentially the four levels that you can get to. So in order to get to that five level, which is the journeyman level, you have to, most of the training that you need in order to get there happens at the base legal office. And we call them core tasks that need to be accomplished in order for an individual to, to get to that level. 
So again, the best thing to happen to a new member is to go to a base legal office, get that training going. And once they're at least a journeyman or a craftsman, then they can start to request uh, different assignments based on availability, whether it's to be a defense paralegal or to be to work as a court reporter or to look at a work at a pellet or any other job that they may want to obtain or want to practice as a paralegal in the Air Force. But yes, the first one is basically uh, in the base legal office. So it's it's sounds very similar to in civilian, of course, as a paralegal, you, once you get out of a program, you pretty much, depending on you know externship, depending on what area you may be interested in, you're kind of at the mercy of just falling into a office, law office, and working in what you may not necessarily have chosen specifically, but you're you're getting your feet wet, you're getting acclimated to working as a paralegal, learning a lot of the tasks and and duties that you got to do in the real world outside of you know education. And so it sounds very very similar to what we do, of course, on the civilian side of it, which is just absolutely fascinating. So I want to kind of talk about, in general, military law. And I've got a couple of questions, but I'm going to kind of condense this here. So when we talk about military law in general, are there really as many differences between it and civilian law? I know your background is very diverse. And you've served in a myriad of different roles, and, and I'm not going to go into all of them, but just for the listener's sake, it, you've been in the roles of military justice, office of the legal advisor, defense paralegal, civil law claims, things of that nature. And so are there, uh, of course, you're, you're working on the military side, so <laughs> not having practiced in civilian practice, but are there as many differences between it and civilian law in when we're talking about things from estate planning to criminal practice, things of that nature? So as far as the civil law side of the military, this is the area where I've had the most, well, the least amount of experience in my career. Most of my experience has been military justice or criminal law. But as far as my experience in civil law, it is similar whenever we do wills and estate planning that tends to be consistent with the state laws so we didn't really deviate we don't really deviate from that whatsoever and then when it when they come in when an, a military member comes in for legal assistance the attorneys essentially provided the advice that they provided it based on a lot of times if it's civil issues that they have it'll be based on those issues or laws and regulations consistent with with the state or the federal law. Now, as far as criminal justice or military justice, that is very different because our the main thing or our Bible, if you will, is the uniform code of military justice. And I'm sure this is, you know, maybe familiar to some individuals, but this is the document that we go off of. And then there are some additional laws and uh, punitive articles that can be violated. Um, such as, you know, Article 134 of the UCMJ discusses issues like adultery or absent without leave or making false official statements, which is essentially lying. So those are all subject to punishment under the UCMJ. So that is where it's very different, I guess, the criminal law aspect of it. Also, so we have something very similar to Miranda rights, but it's different than Miranda rights. It's called the Article 31 rights. And I know in this, in, in the, on the civilian side, the Miranda rights can only be given by law enforcement upon apprehension or when someone is in custody. 
of law enforcement. But in the military, Article 31 rights, essentially anyone can can give Article 31 rights, read them to any individual at any given time, and they don't have to be in custody or anything like that. And a basic premise of that is that I believe that you know, in the UCMJ or in the military, this is the only instance in which your employer is also can also prosecute you because everything is done in-house, right? The commander can essentially convene a court-martial on base and then they can utilize the supervisor as a witness against you and so on and so forth. So in order to protect all the members, then every member can read someone else their Article 31 rights before they're going to, you know, if they suspect someone of having committed a crime before they initiate questioning. That is absolutely fascinating because, wow. So you yourself, have you ever had to read someone those particular rights? Yes, sir. Many times, many times. Interesting. Wow. That is absolutely fascinating. So, one of the roles that you played or played, sorry, that you served in the Air Force on your profile was Office of the Legal Advisor. What particular role or task did you do within that position? The Office of the Legal Advisor, this was in Afghanistan. So I did deploy, I've deployed to Iraq. I deployed there from 2009 to 2010 to Afghanistan from 2014 to 2015. In the Office of the Legal Advisor, there are many duties and responsibilities for paralegals and attorneys that are very different. We call them operational law. And a lot of it is just advising commanders on the law of armed conflict. That is a big thing as far as, you know, unlawful combatants, lawful combatants, non-combatants, and all of those things as far as protected symbols in a time of war. So just advising commanders uh, to those type of issues, as well as the rules of engagement. Uh, Those are some big topics. But I was also responsible for claims, for um, conducting claims, settling claims on behalf of NATO and on behalf of the U.S. So essentially, we had a lot of vehicles there in Afghanistan. Some belong to the U.S., some belong to NATO. And if they got in an accident off base, meeting in Kabul or in the Afghanistan population, then we would give them a form that they would, you know, then Afghan population, local population, they could fill out and they could come and present it to well, to me, essentially, I was that individual who collected the evidence, and then I looked at everything and decided whether or not we would settle that claim with them. Then I would collect the funds from either NATO or the U.S., whoever was responsible, and I would settle that with the Afghan population. So that was one of my uh, duties and responsibilities while I was there as well. But the legal advisor, who was a 06 uh, Navy captain, at the time, uh, he was the attorney to the four-star general who was the commander of all the Afghan forces at the time. So that was his role and, you know, his own personal attorney, essentially, if you will. And then he had a team and, and we were all there and we had people from different countries. We had an individual from the United Kingdom, from Australia, uh, from Lithuania. So we had a, a diverse team, a multinational team, if you will. Wow. Again, I'm just sitting here uh, awestruck. I mean, A, just, you know, working with such a diverse group and working with other individuals in a legal capacity in dealing with, of course, you you were dealing with military law, but even just dealing with other individuals that come from countries that the legal system is totally different than our legal system and, and being around that type of diversity. I just kind of 
law geek out on that because I, it just fascinates me, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to to no end. So working in Afghanistan and Iraq, I, I'm assuming that, especially within the office of the legal advisor, as a paralegal, no matter where you're at, whether you're you're serving in the middle middle of a armed conflict or whether you're just serving stateside, you still are working under the supervision of an, of an attorney, correct? Yes, sir. No, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So everything you're doing, it's just like what we do in civilian practice is we do a lot of the work that an attorney would do, but you know, we do it under the supervision of an attorney. So that's the same in military, correct? Yes, sir. No, everything, even when I mentioned that experience in Afghanistan, I was the only paralegal. And then everyone else that I mentioned, those individuals from the UK uh, or from the uh, uh, the Royal Air Force and from Australia, they were all attorneys as well. So yes, I was the paralegal and I, I was doing a lot of the, the jobs, but under their supervision. I've got like a million and two questions, Albert, that I could just spend hours on. But I know we've got several more questions. So we're going to take a short commercial break. When we come back, we're going to follow up with some additional questions. So don't turn that dial. NALA members receive exclusive content, such as the Paralegal Utilization and Compensation Survey Report, access to a members-only collaboration site, discounts on office products and car rental, access and preferred placement on a web platform for paralegal contract jobs, and access to the member-only career center. NALA members also receive discounted education and products. Join NALA today and become a part of our community. Learn more at nala.org. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. Of course, Albert, I said before the commercial break, I've got a million questions, so I'm going to try to to narrow it to my top four here. So we'll go with that. <laughs> um, so much to, to cover. And really, we should probably make this like a multi-part show, right? I mean, <laughs> I should have you back so we can continue and deep dive on some of these topics. But before the break, we were talking about some of your specific roles that you've performed as a paralegal in the Air Force, Judge Advocate General Corps, or JAG, as most people hear it called. So let's kind of talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and my students get tired of me talking about it, but it's ethics and continuing legal education. So I'm curious to know military paralegals such as yourself, do you guys have to follow the same model rules of professional responsibility? You know, things like cannot give legal advice, cannot represent an individual before judge, so on and so forth. You know, the same rules that I have to follow as a civilian paralegal. Do you in the military have those same ethical rules that you have to follow? Yes, sir. Absolutely. They are part of our training. They're part of our core task as, as well. So in order for us to to upgrade to the next to the next level to that five level journeyman, we have to sign off on that. We understand all those rules of re- professional responsibility. Not only that, but we also have an annual responsibility 
uh, that we have to check and, and make sure that we can revisit the rules of professional responsibility. So it's a yearly thing that we have to that we have to certify that we understand as far as not giving legal advice or representing an, an individual before a judge. Although, and I just want to touch on this a little bit as far as representing an, in, an individual before a judge, because we do have a specific uh, opportunity as paralegals in the Air Force when it comes to discharge boards that we can actually argue for it for the member in that setting but it, it, you know it's not a court martial it's a it's a discharge board and we can with an attorney you know do opening statements do closing statements we can do cross-examination uh with the witnesses when it comes to the discharge board and the discharge board can be about any different things whether it's someone who's failing their physical fitness test or whether it's someone who you know utilized illegal drugs and they've been in for a certain amount of time, they are entitled to a board. And then the upper, the paralegal has an opportunity to, to conduct that board with the attorney. And I just, you know, we just did an episode on our podcast about with two paralegals about their experiences in that capacity. But that aside, yes, uh, everything else as far as confidentiality, not giving legal advice or representing an individual before a judge, all those things still apply. So it's it's just like in private practice in the civilian world, we do the same thing. There are very limited opportunities for a paralegal to represent an individual before, and it's typically in an administrative court situation. Same Sounds like the same thing. What about CLE? Do you have to maintain continuing legal education in the Air Force? Is that just required of you guys? It is. So we do have to maintain CLE and a lot of changes are coming with that as well. We have a we have a team that is currently developed and trying to come up with uh, new ideas as to how to better prepare military paralegals or Air Force paralegals for life after the Air Force. But we do have continuing legal education, especially for so if someone is a seven level, because if you're a five level, you're constantly trying to to upgrade to seven level. But once you're seven level, people could become stagnant and just kind of stay there and not want to continue their training. So now with the CLE requirements, everyone that who's a seven level or a craftsman at that point has to maintain CLE and we do it once a month. So if someone's a seven level uh, once a month, they have to you know, do some sort of training, whether it's a webcast that we can find on our site. We, we have our own Air Force Jack course site and we have webcasts that we provide or that are provided in there. Or someone can venture out of, you know, just the military training and do some civilian training and that can be documented as well. So a lot of things that can give credit for CLE. Oh, so you could like attend a NALA, the National Association of Legal Assistance national conference, you know, in July and attend continuing legal education sessions and it would count in the military. Yes, sir. That's correct. Interesting. Wow. Well, that's good. I, I'm a, a huge proponent of CLE. I'm certified. I have all four national certifications. And of course, I have to maintain continuing legal education as part of maintaining my certifications. But certifications are, you know, they're not mandatory. It's voluntary. And so... As such, not all paralegals that work in the civilian world, you know, attend CLE sessions. And I love the idea of that it's required of you. You're not certified, but you still have to have CLE as part of, you know, 
your particular roles. And I think that should be mandated for all paralegals. And I'm sure there's listeners going, no way, Carl. But <laughs> <laughs> like you said a minute ago, it, it you know, you, you run the risk of becoming stagnant. And uh, I think CLE is a, a great way to just keep on top of the trends that are happening and just keeping fresh. So I've got a couple more questions. So uh, I want to understand a little bit with what you did in serving in Afghanistan and Iraq in the Office of the Legal Advisor. So besides, you know, processing claims, what were some of the other things that you did that you can share with us, of course, as a paralegal, you know, working in the middle of an armed conflict? I mean, is there a, a... interesting story you would like to share with us that, you know, maybe something we wouldn't necessarily know about? Or what? what's it like to serve as a paralegal day in, day out in the middle of an armed conflict? It is very interesting, especially because we are very close to important events happening in the world, really. And, and I, I, touched, I touched a little bit on the NATO, uh, you know, working close closely with NATO, but we also were pivotal and and had a big role and I, and I had a big role in um, you know even just drafting or negotiating the status of forces agreement between NATO and Afghanistan and that was something that was you know essentially one of the big things that our office was working on. We also had the first and this was just a tragic event that happened while I was while I was there. It was that a two-star army general was killed in action in Afghanistan at the time while I was there. And they assigned a investigating officer as well as a, as an attorney, a military attorney. And they also had a, a paralegal, which the paralegal was me at the time. We just had to do interviews and kind of get to the bottom of how, what all happened with the general that was killed in action. So, you know, those are really a lot of things that can pop up at any second that can take you away from your normal duties and responsibilities and, you know, essentially just helping in any capacity that you can with the attorneys or interviewing witnesses or drafting documents or transcribing documents, whatever the case may be. But it's it's definitely gainfully employed and there's always something going on. I can only imagine I, I, when you were telling the story and, and I was just kind of envisioning what it was like for you to to do all that and be, you know, hopping and going the entire time. All I could think about was my experience has been in defense practice, anything from medical malpractice to medical products, liability, things of that nature. And so I've done a ton of trial work. And all I could think about was you were probably living like you were in the middle of trial every day because you were just going so fast and furious, especially being the only paralegal, I can only imagine what that's like for you. I, it was probably 24-7. Am I close <laughs> that you were living your job the whole time? Yes, sir. No, essentially. It was 24-7. We ha- I had an attorney who sometimes wouldn't even sleep. He, you know, I'd say goodnight to him about 11, 12 at night, and then I would come in in the morning around 7, and he'd still be there not having slept at all. Oh, so, my gosh. And we also would you know, what we call just going outside the wire. So we had to drive. Uh, it was a, a armed vehicle. So it's a, it was a SUV, a Toyota Land Cruiser that we had that we had at the time. And that's what we would utilize to go. We had to travel to different 
ministries in Afghanistan. So we had to go to the Ministry of Interior, the Minister of Defense, or talk to the Attorney General of Afghanistan to keep the negotiations going about the uh, the status of forces agreement. And I would be the one who drive, and we would, you know, we obviously we couldn't go out there with our empty empty handed, so we had to be armed. Things were happening and are continuing to happening in Afghanistan. Though you know, essentially, any situation could arise at at any moment, but we had to be prepared for that. So essentially, we would go through to combat training before going to Afghanistan. So yes, we did a lot of paralegal work, but we also had to have that combat training that would prepare us to deal with any contingent potential contingency that would happen on the road while we were there. Wow. Albert, thank you so much for your service um, because that's just uh, for civilian paralegals such as myself, you know, we, some of us joke that, you know, it's, it's in the middle of, you know, an armed conflict when you're in the midst of a trial, but hearing your story of actually serving and having to, as a paralegal, you're being educated as a paralegal on the law but you're also being trained in combat and because you're being thrust into their situations where you're being thrust into the middle of it. So Albert, it, it's a little, makes you really stop and think for us civilian paralegals that work out there that truly highly respect everything that you've done in the military. And so thank you so much for your service. We truly appreciate everything you've done for not only our country, but for the, the paralegal industry as well. And Albert, we're running out of time. I, oh my gosh, I don't want to end. <laughs> I want to keep doing this all night. <laughs> but I know that you have a podcast. You mentioned it a minute ago that you have a podcast for Air Force paralegals, the Air Force paralegal podcast that's available and that you host. And you, in fact, you've invited me to be a guest on the show, which I'm truly humbled and I'm really excited about doing it. But if any of our listeners wanted to reach out to you directly, can they do that? And if so, how would they contact you? Absolutely. Yeah, no, every, anyone can uh, can reach out to me. The best way would probably be through email. So it's my last name, Perez Oyola, 85 at gmail.com. And then you can certainly reach out if you have any questions or if you want, if you're interested in appearing in the in the podcast or any information about joining the military or the Air Force, I'll be glad to, to answer any any questions or provide any information that you may need. Albert, thank you so much. And you're not getting away. All my guests have to suffer one of my fun questions. So you're not any different. So before we wrapped up, I'm going to ask you my fun question. I'm going to pick on you because I saw on your LinkedIn profile, it said that you speak several languages, including Japanese. And so I have to ask you, what's the Japanese word for paralegal? All right. So this is an interesting one. And uh, so my wife is, is Japanese. I asked her and she said there is no paralegal. So there's no profession of paralegal in Japan. They also don't have a profession as a physician assistant in Japan either. However, I was able to get the word for attorney, which is bengoshi. 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 Bengoshi is the word for attorney in Japanese. But unfortunately, they still don't have a paralegal profession. Well, that is just wrong. We need to <laughs> change <I'll> that. <laughs> yes, well, sir. Albert, thank you so much for being on my show today. And again, thank you so much for your service. And hang on tight, everyone. We'll be right back after this break for station identification. So stay tuned. Today's episode is brought to you by Legal Inc., 
Legal Inc. is empowering paralegals to embrace their inner legal rock star by automating the everyday tasks that hold them back. Through their free dashboard solution, paralegals can quickly and easily automate services like business formations, corporate filings, registered agent services, and more. Visit LegalInc.com to create a free account and check out LegalInc.com forward slash podcast for a chance to win Legal Rockstar swag. This episode of the Paralegal Voice is brought to you by CourtFiling.net, your solution for electronic filing in California, Illinois, Indiana, and Texas. CourtFiling.net provides a better e-filing experience so you can spend more time helping clients. Because they know that work sometimes happens after hours, courtfiling.net offers 24-7 phone, email, and chat support. Visit courtfiling.net to receive 30 days of unlimited free electronic filings and see how you too can e-file court documents with ease. Before we end today's show, we would like to thank our sponsor, NALA. NALA is a professional association for paralegals providing continuing education, voluntary certification, and professional development programs. NALA has been a sponsor of the Paralegal Voice since our very first show. And courtfiling.net. E-file court documents with ease in California, Illinois, Indiana, and Texas. To learn more, visit courtfiling.net to take advantage of a free 30-day trial. And serve now, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, who embrace technology and understand the litigation process. Visit servenow.com to learn more. And finally, Legal Inc. Legal Inc. makes it easy for paralegals to digitally automate tasks like business formations, corporate filings, and registered agent services nationwide. Visit legalinc.com forward slash podcast today to create your free account. Well, everyone, it's been a wild and crazy 2020, has it not? Um, I know we're all COVID out, election out, we're tired, um, but I want to just end on a couple of notes. You know, we've made it to December now, and we're in the midst of celebrating the holidays with our friends and loved ones. We've had a wild election cycle, and of course, you know, our legal industry has been front and center in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the lawsuits that were filed against various states' election boards and states' legislatures, things of that nature. And to me, as a law geek and a law nerd, it was exciting to witness democracy in action. And no matter who you voted for, to really witness the sheer number of people that turned out to vote in record numbers, to me, was truly exciting and made me extremely proud of our country. And so our country, our legal system is not perfect by any means. I tell paralegal students that all the time, but to see it hold up to the pressures of what has transpired this year overall is really a monumental feat. And to look back and see that we as a society, we didn't buckle and we didn't collapse. You know, we persevered. And as a country, like we have for almost 250 years, and that's something to be proud of. And so during this time of year, when we look back in the year in review, there are truly things, still many things to be thankful for. You know, it's been very stressful for a lot of us. It's been a challenging year for all of us on many different fronts, but we still have hope. We have hope for our country. We have hope for our industry. And we have hope 
for a new day. And me, I hope for you and your family, the best that life has to offer you. And may the Lord guide and protect you and your family and the remainder of this year. And may we all find peace and joy for 2021. And so with that, that's all the time I've got today for the Paralegal Voice. And if you have any questions about today's show, email them to me at devotedtolaw at gmail.com. That's D-E-V-O-T-E-D, the number two, L-A-W at gmail.com. And stay tuned for more information in upcoming podcasts for exciting paralegal trends, news, and engaging and fun interviews from leading paralegals and other leading legal professionals. Thank you for listening to The Paralegal Voice, produced by the podcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com, find Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. And reminding you that I'm here to enhance your passion and dedication to the paralegal profession and make your paralegal voice heard. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.